Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. We want to welcome you to the Grace Gospel Worship Center. Those that are in the house and those that are online, we welcome you. Amen. Thank God for another day. It allows us to come before his presence. Amen. Before we get into the word, let's stand. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand cup of praise. Amen. For he's worthy tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to get right into the word. We're going to turn to uh, Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, and it reads like this. It says, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all the people into the land I am given to you, to them, to Israelites. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon I given I have given to you, as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea in the west shall be your territory, and no one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And I was with, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. I will not fail nor forsake you. Amen. You may be seated. And my subject tonight is um, it's called the next generation. The next generation. And it's going to be kind of different because a couple of weeks ago I was listening or reading to the reading the book of Judges and there was a scripture that came across and it brought this subject to my mind so just bear with me um, Joshua was 59 years old when he became the leader of the Israelites through many victories and some defeats Joshua led God's people to the promised land after years of battle we see an own aging jo Joseph jo Joshua calls the people together and divides the land. Joshua reminded Israel of God's generosity and how he brought them to the promised land and rescued them from the Canaanites. He calls for them to turn away from the Canaanite gods and be faithful to the covenant that they had made with God. He said, if you would do this, it would lead you to a life of blessings in the land. But if you are unfaithful, it will, call, I will, it will call down on itself the same divine judgment that the Canaanites experienced. So Joshua, when we're talking about this, Joshua gave them a speech. And in Joshua's, Joshua's infamous words in Joshua 24 and 15, he says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the God which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil to you. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. For that the gods of your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell for, but as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. And notice, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And that is just a kind of introduction to what I want to talk to you. My main scripture, my main subject comes from this chapter, this, this book, Judges chapter 2, verse 6. He says, and when Joshua paid close attention, and when Joshua let, had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man to his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua and the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the borders of the inheritance of Timnah-Heres in the Mount of Ephraim on the other side of Hill Gesh. And also, this is my verse I want you to pay close attention to. And also all that generation were gathered together unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And when I heard that scripture, you know, I, we, we read the scripture, and every time we get something new out of it. But when I read that scripture, I begin, it, something hit me, and I began to think of my, my family, my, 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 my grandchildren, and I'm thinking, oh, God. And I begin to think of this world that we live in, how things have changed. And we can see things that's going on in the world that is ungodly. And people don't have a love for God. They're doing all type of crazy things. They don't, they don't, they don't earn a life. I mean, they, they'll take a life like, like nothing. So that, that did something to me. And Matthew chapter 24 says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Second Timothy 3 verse 2 says, For men shall be lovers of them own selves, covetous, bo boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. This is happening now. Without natural affection, this is happening now. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. I mean, they don't like you being called a Christian. You can be anything else. You can do anything else but don't identify yourself as a Christian. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And this could be defined as apostasy. Apostasy is an abandoning of which one has believed in as, one, as faith causes or principle. The apostasy, apostasy may be both doctrinal and moral. 
You know, we, we've seen people in the church that believed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They believed that you had to be filled with the Holy Ghost and be baptized in Jesus' name. But something happened to them, and they come back and said, you don't, I, don't, I don't need that. All I have to do is believe on Jesus. That's what the world wants you to think. But that's not what the Word of God says. In layman terms, we might define this word, apostasy, as to back, backslide or turn away. Now, my question to myself when I read that scripture is how could this happen so quickly at the death of Joshua that a new generation did not know the Lord nor the works that we, she had done for Israel? Think about it. You have to understand that their parents, amen, experienced the miraculous crossing of the Jordan. They saw and experienced the defeat of Jericho as the wall fell down simply as they marched around the wall. They saw and experienced the defeats, amen, of dozens of other nations. They knew that and they had children that were exper that experienced that. Now what happened to those children? Because the Bible says that that generation, let, let me go back. It says also in chapter, Judges verse 2 and 10, it says, And also all that generation gathered together unto their fathers, fathers, and there arose another generation. In other words, all of the people, all of the Joshua's generation had passed away. But in that meantime, surely they had let the children know what God had done. You know, we being baptized in Jesus' name, surely we let our children know what, what's going on in our lives. They, they see it. But what happened that these people, this new generation, did not know God? Who was at fault? Was God at fault? Was Moses at fault? Was Joshua at fault? Were the parents at fault? Or was the next generation at fault? You see, God built safeguards in the home of the Israelites to keep this from happening. In Deuteronomy 6 and 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. See, the, the God warned them against forgetting him. And he said, And thou shalt love the Lord, thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in thine heart. And then he said, and thou shalt teach them diligently. Diligently means an energetic effort, untiring. Do everything you can to teach your children about what I have done. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest down in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, teach your children about the Lord. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. Thou shalt be a frontlet between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and on their gates. 
You see, we need to let our children, the next generation, know what God has done for, you know, we, to, to our children is history. But we need to let them know that God has done something for us. It's not just in the past. God is still moving in us. Because, you know, when, in, 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 in school, in history, most of us, didn't, we didn't care. What did the Civil War have to do with me? You know what I mean? We took class. You know, I took some classes. I took physics, physics class. And they were teaching us about how elevators work and how the force of elevate. And I'm thinking, what does that have to do with me dealing with computers? So I didn't pay attention. So that's what's, that, that might have what happened to, to these the kids. They, they heard about God. They knew about it. But they didn't put themselves in that situation. They need to know that they cannot survive spiritually depending upon their moms and dad walk with God. Nor can they survive depending on the elders of the church. You can't do that. Amen. And I, I was telling my wife, I, I came up with this, this excellent thought that I thought. I said, no one can receive salvation through an inheritance. Amen. Parents can't put it in their will that, you know, I leave to my son, the Lord. You can't do that. It doesn't come that way. You have to have your own relationship with God. You as kids, and I, I'm, I'm talking to everybody, but you can't wait for your parents to give you salvation. You have to have your own salvation with the Lord. Amen. Philippians 2 and 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you always obey, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. So back to my question, who was at fault? We know that God cannot be at fault. Because God doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he was doing. He put us here. He made us perfect. It was man that sinned. We can eliminate Moses because Moses did everything that he could do. How about Joshua? We know as long as Joshua lived, idolatry was kept in check. You know, Joshua said, choose you whom this day that you're going to serve. And they said, Oh, Joshua, we're, we're, we're going to serve the Lord. And while Joshua, did, while Joshua lived, they did serve the Lord. They did serve him. But something happened. Something happened that the next generation did not know the Lord. And it's not, not that they not, didn't know the Lord. They didn't know about the works of the Lord. So we know as long as Joshua lived, idolatry was kept in check. The weight of his influence was a buffer to Israel for many years. That influence carried among Joshua contemporaries. Otherwise, while Joshua was alive, 
they followed him. They served the Lord. You know, and as long as we're in the church, you know, our kids are going to come to church. But what about when you stop coming to church? What about when you don't come to church? Are they going to say, well, dad's not coming to church? I don't need to come to church. So we need to instill in our children that we're not coming to church for them. We're coming to church for us, but we need to set an example to our children so that when we don't come, they still have that burning the desire to come, come to church. Because if not, they're going to be like that generation that knew not God. But Israel lacked the independent strength to be true after Joshua's generation. When Joshua died, um, basically, um, they, they were at peace. They were, they were, the fighting had stopped. So it was the parent. So was it the parents' fault that the other generation had no knowledge of God? Maybe. Perhaps the memory of God's great work gradually faded away and it influenced upon the hearts of the people. So, you know, sometimes we can get so comfortable in God. You know, we just, we, just, we know that the song is going to sing a song. We just sit back and just enjoy the Lord. And we can come complacent. You know, if you look at what's going on in the world, and I said this, on, I think, on, on during prayer. The world, in television, advertisement, they put stuff up. And basically, we are being desensitized to what's going on in the world. Not that we purposely do it, but it flashes all the time, all the time. You know, back in the 60s, they had this thing called subliminals where... You don't really see it, but it's always there. I just recently, I did a survey. I, um, I do surveys. And I had this contraption hit to my head. And they wanted me to follow, follow these people. And they, they told me to follow the ball. How many times did the people in the white follow the ball? And so I was, I was focused on the ball one time, two times, three times, four times. And they asked me, how many times did I, did I see the ball, you know, move? And I said, 15. Then they asked me, did I see the monkey that went through him? I said, what monkey? <laughs> I didn't see no monkey. I was so focused on the people in the white that I didn't see the monkey. So they 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 showed they told me to play it back, and there it was. While I'm searching, looking at these people throw the ball, this black, the people in the white, this black monkey walks through the beach. And I'm thinking, how did I miss that? The same thing is happening in the world. We don't see it, but in our minds, it's there. 
I don't know why I said that. Remember God instructed Joshua to destroy the Canaanite. Instead, and, and basically, when I, when I picked this subject, I had to go, and I was trying to find out why, but in my searching, I had to go back and go back because the more I searched, the further I had to go back to see what happened. Um, God wanted uh, Israel to destroy the Canaanites. Why did he want them destroyed? Because the culture of the Canaanites became extremely morally corrupt and widely practiced the child sacrifice. They were very immoral. Now, I don't have to tell you, if you read it, you know how immoral they were. And that's what the world is coming to. But basically, we're in the middle of it, and we're being desensitized. This, this suction, the, the seductions of adultery and the influence of heathen example were ever fresh and powerful. This is why Paul admonishes the church at Corinth, wherefore, 6 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So these scriptures isn't in the word just because God wanted to write something. It's in there for our admonition. Amen. So had the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, the idolatry and the idolaters would have been out of the way. You know, sometimes in our lives, it's vitally important that we get rid of sin. Now, I know we're human, but we need to do our best to get rid of sin. Because if it doesn't, it will come back and it will destroy you. When I was growing up, my, my father had a chicken coop and we had chickens. And at nighttime, possums would get into the chicken coop and take the chickens. Yeah. <laughs> my sister said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and one, one, one day my mom found a baby possum. And she took that chick, that possum, and tried to feed it. And I said, Mom, what are you doing? That possum is taking our chickens. So why are you feeding that possum? Because he's taking our livelihood. And that's the same with sin. You see, we're feeding sin, and it'll eventually kill us. So we need to do our best to destroy it. That's why daily, amen, we must crucify this flesh. Because it will come back on us. Um, I, I hope I'm making sense tonight. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Wherefore sin we also compass about with so great a witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us and let us run this way race with patience that is set before us so we need to do everything amen to get rid of sin now let's look at the generation that did not know god 
were they at fault? The next generation took for granted what the previous ones knew. They were not, there was no faith or trust in God. They became faithless. They had possessed the land, no battles. Like I said, it was peace, no struggles. They developed a spirit of complacency and mediocrity, trying to live off the precious memory generation experience instead of leaning and depending on God for themselves. Basically, they, hang, they hung around because their parents hung around. But when we're gone, what are our children going to do? Now, like I said, as I studied this, and, you know, I may have to come back to this, and I may have to apologize and say I was wrong for some of this stuff, but what does it really mean that the next generation did not know the Lord? In my opinion, this is my opinion. It does not mean that they were completely unaware of God, not having any knowledge of God at all. They did know who God was. I'm sure that in some time they had heard about the mighty work that God had done. It's, it's hard to fathom that no parent, having seen the miracles, did not share them with their children. I just can't imagine what the God had done for the what God had done for the people that they didn't share anything with the people. I just can't fathom that. However, the saving acts of God were not central pressures to the next generation. See, they didn't, they didn't have to work. God had done all the miracles. All they had to do was to possess the land. They didn't appreciate what God had done. Sure, they had gone, gone through the motion. Um, and this is not familiar with, with us. Sometimes maybe we have just going through the motions. You know, sometimes we can play church. We can, you know, we, we just don't, sometimes we come to service and we just don't feel good. So, you know, we just, hallelujah. You know, we, it, we don't do it constantly, but sometimes we, we're not feeling, we, we just go through the motions. I mean, you know, and and in in lay in these terms, you know, back then they may have sang on the praise team. They could they could have shouted and spoken something they thought were tongues. They could have prayed, but it wasn't truly down on the inside. See, they had a form of godliness, but did not have the power inside of them. They did not honor or rejoice in what God had done before and lost the meaning and the significance of what God had done. Joshua 12, Joshua Judges 2, verse 11. And this is after, after verse 10 where they, he said they did not know God. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the lords of their fathers, which brought them out of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves 
unto them and provoked the Lord to anger, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Now, let's go, like I said, I had to go back. Let's go back. If, perhaps, they had utterly destroyed the Canaanites, which served Baal and Ashtoreth, perhaps the children wouldn't have served this God. This is me thinking now. Just, just This is my Bible study. I'm, I'm doing my Bible study with you. So, this verse, this verse revealed that what happened when this happens when the people do not know the Lord. The people of Israel did that was evil in the sight of the Lord. If the people do not worship God, then they are going to worship something else. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something else. Why? Because we were created to worship. You, you know, preaching, preaching the word is important. Very important. But worship is more important. We only preach because of sin. But God created us to worship. Worship is, and I'm not, I'm not, Neglating preaching. Don't get me wrong. Don't go say, Brother Johnson said, preaching is not important. He, you know, I'm going to call the pastor tonight and tell what he said. That's not what I mean. Preaching is important, but worship is more important. So if we don't worship God, we will worship something else, which would be idolatry. And idolatry today is not so much as bowing down the statues. Some people do that. But idolatry can be functional to God to provide our identity and security. I, I can think of one God right off the bat. I, I got him right here in my pocket. Oh, my God. Where is my God? I can't find my God. <laughs> Where is my God? You know, we get on our other God that's on our wrist. We ding it to find our other God. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm being funny, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be real. You know, you know, we, we, so we, the things that we serve, amen, we don't realize it, but we're, we're serving these gods, and you can see it. I mean, we do. I mean, I, I, I'm on my phone, too. But the world is caught up on this phone. I mean, constantly. And it doesn't make it any better. We, You know, we had YouTube. Now we got TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, Google Chat, every, <laughs> every kind of chat there is. And we're just so focused on this that it's affecting us. So when we allow the idols in our hearts, then our hearts become captured by those idols, and our desire for the Lord slowly becomes snuffed out. We have all seen individuals who had a zeal for the Lord. They used to be on fire for God, 
But where are they now? I, if I could ask you, we could just, we could name any, we could, every, we can name, every, anybody could come up with a person that had a zeal for God. They loved God. But what happened? Amen. I just have captured their hearts as a result. The love of God people is being choked out. And we know what Jesus told a parable about the soil where uh, the thorny the ground fell on thorny ground and it was shallow. When the, our hearts abandon God and turn to idolatry, idolatry, it sets us up on a path to misery and distress. God allowed Israel to suffer the consequences of the sin when we become steep in ideology, idolatry, we are given over to the desires which bring devastation and consequences eternally, eternally here and in heaven. If we allow the idols, amen, affect us and lose our sight with God, we're going to miss out on God. And that's the last thing I want to do. I've been, most of us have been serving God for a long time. I don't want to miss out on him just because I'm stuck on my phone or I'm stuck on something else and I lose track of my God. I've put too much in this, amen. I've come too far to turn back now, amen. So this is what's happening to, to, to today, to this generation. They reject the ways they rejected the ways of the older generation. You see, this new generation, they will not listen to what some, some will not listen to what we have to say. Have you tried to talk to some of these kids? You know, us as parents, we're dumb. We, we totally don't know. What we're, that's old-fashioned. You don't know what you're talking about. But, you know, when they get to be older, they're going to look back and say, Mom was right. <laughs> Amen. They consider us born and old-fashioned. When you do not make the Lord essential to your life, you're going to do evil. I mean, it's, you're going to sin. The Lord is the only governor that keeps us from giving ourselves to wickedness. Unless we know the Lord personally, and develop our own relationship with him, we will move into the life of life of sin. And the phrase, and, and this is me studying, the phrase knew not simply means they stopped recognizing, they stopped observing, they stopped a caring, caring about the Lord. Like I said, they knew about the Lord, and I could be misinterpreting it, but they knew about the Lord, but they didn't make it their central focus. They stopped caring about the Lord. The Lord was no longer in first place in their lives. He no longer held a position of prominence. That once, and once that happened, the weeds of idolatry begin to take root, and we find ourselves not knowing the Lord and no longer in a relationship with him. If you water sin, it's going to grow. I mean, you need to chop it down. If you got a garden, 
you got to chop those weeds down or they're going to take over. They're going to take over the fruit. So you got to cut it down when it first pops up. The generational shift into apostasy was such that it consisted of forsaking God for idols and involved the worship of other gods, sexual immorality, and a total lack of knowledge of who God is. And where am I in time? Okay, let's hurry on here. We hear of all the time people saying, I know the Lord. You, you've heard this. I know the Lord. So don't, you don't have to tell me about it. I know the Lord. Knowing the Lord and knowing about the Lord are not the same. We can know the Lord, but we don't know the Lord. To know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. So if you know the Lord, you're going to obey the Lord. John chapter 2, verse 4 said, He said, I know him, and keepeth not his commandment. He said, I know him, and keepeth not his commandment, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith, he that saith, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Don't know him is to be in a relationship with him. And I'm going to move on here. Um, every individual of every generation has a choice to make. Joshua in 24:15 says, and if it seems evil to you, choose whom you're going to serve. It's your decision. My final question is, are we at the beginning stages of seeing the next generation that won't know God? Will the church, not this church, but will the church be at fault? I mean, not just this church, but all existing churches be at fault. Amen. I mean, we will be more, in these last days, we'll be more interested in ways to get the church to grow by making it more comfortable for the unsaved. Or do we stand on the unadulterated word of God calling wrong, wrong, and right, right? Amen. In the last days, the church must preach righteousness, stand on the fact that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, for God is holy. So I'm coming to a close here. We must stop and examine for ourselves today, asking, are we the generation that does not know the Lord? Are we the generation that knows about God, but do not hold the mighty works of God as central and precious to, in our lives. We must be concerned for ourselves, honestly evaluating whether we know the Lord or whether we only know about the Lord. Finally, this needs to happen. Two things need to happen to ensure that we're not guilty 
of causing the next generation to know about our mighty God. First, we must teach the younger. Proverbs 22 and 6, we know it by heart. Train up a child in the way that he shall go, and he will not, will not depart from it. That doesn't mean that they're going to always serve the Lord, but somewhere if we teach them, when they get in trouble, they're going to know, and the pastor's a perfect example. When they get in trouble, they're going to know that they can call on God. Secondly, the younger generation must develop their own relationship with God. Proverbs 2 and 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, we cannot control what the gen younger generation chooses when they come of age. All we can do is to train them up. If they choose to depart from God later, let it not be because we, this generation, did not teach them. Don't let it be on us that our children grew up not to know him. Amen. Let it be on them. Amen. Amen. So let us be busy and diligent in our efforts to train up the next generation in the ways of the Lord. We must do our best. Amen. So that our generation, the next generation, know about the Lord. Because it's a sad situation for my children, for my grandchildren. To not know the Lord. That's on me. But I want to make sure that my little surreal know that I love Jesus. Know that he, what he's done and what he's done for me and what he can do for you. That's what they need to know. And that is my lesson for tonight. And I pray that what my Bible said, what I was studying, I was able to relate something to you that would get us to thinking that we may need to make a conscious effort that we need to reach the world because we are the, we are the only light because outside of the body of God, the light is dimming. Right this month, everything that's going on in D.C. is dimming. But we are the light of the world. So let your light shine. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And we're going to turn it over to the musicians.